0: From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. There once was a company, and stop me when this sounds familiar, that was very entrepreneurial, grew fast, was really smart. But the entrepreneur behind it didn't want to put any structures and systems and processes in place because they thought that that would lead to restrictions, to a dampening of creativity. And instead, what it led to was chaos and the derailment of an otherwise really successful business. Now, like I said, does that sound familiar? Because it's something that I have heard quite a lot about from a lot of entrepreneurs. And Ranjay, who you were about to hear, well, he saw it pretty up close. I had seen that in my own family business,
1: you know, where it grew really fast, but my mother, the founders, didn't really want to put in place these formal systems and structures.
0: But Ranjay is not just some bystander to business destruction. He is someone who understands how business works at a very deep level. My
1: name is Ranjay Gulati. I'm a professor at the Harvard Business School. My research focus has been on understanding how to unlock the growth potential of organizations, both in good times and bad, and also how businesses capture inflection points in their market to really drive growth in extraordinary circumstances.
0: He is also the host of a podcast called Deep Purpose, and that's tied to a book he wrote called Deep Purpose, The Heart and Soul of High-Performance Organizations. So anyway. Let's get back to watching this company, this entrepreneurial company that did not want to put processes in place start to fall apart. Ranjay, in watching all of this, then wrote an article called Building Startups That Last.
1: And it was about all, oh, you know, that businesses need to think small, fast growth companies as they scale. The scaling problem was at some moment in time, they need to acknowledge and accept that they need to have some formalized systems and structures in place. So I wrote it, I thought I was done. And then I started to get pushback from several of my entrepreneur friends saying, Ranjay, you missed part of the story. What you don't get is you're kind of implying that we all need to build this kind of bureaucratic overlay into our company. You're missing that there's a reason why we don't want to do that. And when we do that, sometimes you go over correct and you kill the soul of a startup. To which Ranjay is like, oh, come on. The soul of a startup? So I started to, I interviewed 65 CEOs of fast growth ventures. And I wanted to understand this kind of sailing dilemma. And I came to realize very quickly, there's a tension between wanting to be grown up and big, but not losing that entrepreneurial spirit. I also found many of them lamenting about the good old days. Oh, the good old days. We were amazing. We were this and that. And that led me into this inquiry. Like I said, like, what do you mean by good old days? Like, I mean, as you're getting nostalgic about the good old days, what exactly are you talking about?
0: And that led him to a lot more writing, a lot more investigating, a lot more talking, and ultimately the conclusions that we're going to discuss in this conversation. How do you exactly identify and foster the soul of a startup? How do you make sure that as you are building in processes, as you are scaling a company, that you make sure that you identify what its deep purpose is and you protect it and you help it grow? How do you do these two things at once? It is possible, Rajay says, but you have to be really intentional about it. And that is what we're going to discuss on this episode of Problem Solvers coming up after this. This ad is going to be different than basically every other ad you've ever heard on the show. Why? Because I'm not telling you about somebody else's thing. I'm telling you about my own thing. I, Jason Pfeiffer, host of Problem Solvers, I have one thing right now that you can do to improve your work and build a career or company you love. And what is that one thing? Well, it is a newsletter that I write, which is called One Thing Better. Now, because I am the host of this podcast and editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, I get to talk to just incredible people and I am always absorbing the advice that they give me. And I know it is easy to be inundated with advice. Yeah, it's just too much of it. And with newsletters too, too much of that. That is why I keep it simple. Each week, I take everything that I've learned, I distill it down one thing, one thing better, one thing better you can do. Easy, simple, actionable. Put it into practice right now. One Thing Better, the newsletter, brings you literally just that. One way you can improve. One way you can do the work you love better. Sign up for free at onethingbetter.email. Yes, that is the website. One, that is O-N-E, onethingbetter.email. All right, we are back talking with Ranjay Gulati a professor at the Harvard Business School and also host of the podcast Deep Purpose and this conversation is going to get to the question of deep purpose of how to understand and foster the purpose of the company but before we get there i had to say to Roger when he started and and he was telling me about this tension that leaders feel about what the company used to be and what it's becoming which is what you heard him say just before the break reminded me of the times in which I usually hear about this tension in a company, and and it's, it's always presented as a leadership issue, not as a deep purpose issue. So I wanted to tease that apart with him first. I often bring it up as a leadership question, because that was often how it was introduced to me. I remember the first time I think that in an interview, an issue like this came up, I was talking to Ben Chestnut of MailChimp, and he described this moment where He uh, The company had grown pretty substantially. He now had like hundreds of employees and he didn't personally know them all, which was a very different feeling from when it was like five people with a lot of coffee and donuts in a room somewhere. And uh, he was in front of them, giving them some kind of uh, state of the union address and somebody raises their hand and they're basically like, what's the plan for the next two years? And he was like, plan? We don't have a plan. We just figure things out. And he could see that he like lost half the room. The, The first part of the room half the room that had been with him for a long time was very used to this. So the other half had joined recently and they expected a plan. And afterwards, uh, one of his executives came to him and said, look, I think that you are like the wrong, you're stuck in an old form of leadership right now. Like you think of yourself as the scrappy leader of a scrappy company, but you're not that anymore. You now are leading a larger organization and you need to think differently. And so that's what he did. He sort of, he stepped back and he rethought what he needs to be as a leader. And that therefore became the way that I always understood this issue, which is that it's an issue of leadership. But you're coming at it from a kind of different perspective here, because yes, there's a leadership angle to it. But also there's this worry about what really is the, it's an existential question. What is the purpose of the startup? What what is the soul of it? It's almost a bigger, harder question to grapple with because leadership is easy. Fix the leader. This is bigger.
1: There's more than that. I think, I think you, you're right. First of all, I think you absolutely are right that there's a leadership question and leaders need to change themselves and evolve themselves as the venture grows. What it takes to be an entrepreneur who starts a venture versus somebody who knows how to grow a venture are very different skill sets. Mm. And some of these ventures will bring in a, a large company CEO, what they call the adult supervision grown-up, and that's also not good because those leaders know how to manage at scale, but they don't know how to grow to scale. So there's a third kind of leader who knows how to take a small company and grow it. So, you know, you have the leaders who know how to manage at scale, the ones who know how to start a business. How do you think of this intermediate space? And of course, there's a leader angle into this. But let me tell you what I think is going on. Yeah. Because you can always pin everything to a leader and say the leader. And But this is a big problem. And you can see, even like if you see the Masters of Scale podcast with Reid Hoffman, I mean, 56 episodes later, we're still contemplating the leader issue, and it's always about the leader. But let me tell you what, there are some organizational issues that they need to grapple with. So my first take was that they need to build structure, systems, and processes. Then I came to realize that, wait, 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 before you go too far on that, there's something called the soul of a startup that you need to hold on to. And I discovered there are three components of the soul. The three components were customer experience, connection. How deeply connected do we feel to our customers? The second was employee experience. Do I really feel I have voice and choice in my organization when I felt that way when it was a small company? And the third one was, I called it intent. I hadn't gotten to the word purpose yet. So I thought, okay, now I got it. You need to have structure system processes without killing the soul. And by the way, if you look at Howard Schultz, he's come back the third time to Starbucks. And every time he comes back, he talks about, oh, Starbucks has lost its soul. So I wanted to unpack this idea of the soul. So I thought I did it. Three things, customer connection, employee experience, and this intent idea. Then I had a take three. I realized that if I was to really choose one thing that really makes these companies able to scale, it's this idea of intent, which I now started to call purpose. And I came to realize that that led me to write about this idea that companies need to have a purpose. And the really successful companies that are growing fast growth, they start with a very strong intent or purpose of why are we in business? And this led me to write a third article called, Why Do Today's Startups Pursue Both Ideas and Ideals? And, you know, in this podcast I've done, I interviewed a number of these kind of entrepreneurs of David Velez, founder of New Bank, the largest digital bank in the world, started from nothing. And he began with a purpose of what was the great vision for the business. I interviewed Mudassar Shekha, the founder of Kareem, the largest ride share company in the Middle East and North Africa. Started with an intent, a purpose. Why are we? What problems do we want to solve? And purpose doesn't mean saving the planet only. It means what problems do we want to really solve in this business? So it starts not with we're going to make a lot of money, we're going to IPO. No. I interviewed Mona Ataya, founder of Moms World, the largest women's kind of on e-commerce site in the Middle East. I interviewed Wood Staten, the largest McDonald's franchisee in the world, 1500 plus stores all over Latin America. All these were founder entrepreneurs who began with nothing, but they began with this ideal of what they wanted to do, accomplish in the world for their own self, their own personal purpose, and their organization's purpose. And from that, came this idea of how am I going to scale the business? How are we going to not lose focus on our purpose? Now, there's something
0: else behind all this. Is Actually, wait, uh, Ranjit, just before you get into that, I just want to make sure that people are really appreciating what you mean by purpose, because a company functionally has a, a purpose. If I sell hot dogs, my purpose is to sell hot dogs, right? If I run Fifteen hundred McDonald's. Then my purpose is to make sure fifteen hundred McDonald's operate. But that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about something deeper, something that's defined perhaps not by the product or service, but by a a deeper intent. Is that correct? Question.
1: So look about it. Think about every business starts with the what we do. The what we do encompasses a vision where we want to, what we want to become, a strategy, how we plan to accomplish it, and tactics. That's the what of business. Then there's the how. How includes culture, organization, behaviors, how are we going to get it done, the implementation of our what? On top of it sits the why question. Why do we exist? It's the why question that forces you to imagine yourself in the short and long run. Why is a forcing mechanism to ask the question like, and why is from where you get the what and the how? So you can do the what and how. ma'am. I I myself always thought of businesses about what you do and how you do it. I never thought of the why question. But I'm finding that these really amazing companies start with the why question. Now, what is purpose? Purpose is an individual level construct, first of all, fundamentally. And it's been defined by, for thousands of years, but modern day uh, Stanford psychologist, William Damon defines it as a stable and generalized intention to accomplish something that is at the same time meaningful to the self, and consequential for the world beyond the self. Meaningful to the self and consequential for the world beyond the self, right? So it's the two. So what do you, and now you apply this to organizations and say, well, what is it we want to accomplish for ourselves? Like we want to be number one, we want to do this. And for the world beyond the self includes customers. It includes your employees. It includes your communities, may even include your planet. So the Hmm. why question forces you to think, about your place in the world at large. And it sounds like a really philosophical, existential waste of time exercise, but actually, and purpose is not a purpose statement. So don't get me wrong. It's not like, oh, let's write a mission statement. Oh, done, checkbox. Check purpose is really asking yourself the question and really spending time debating and dwelling on that question. And I've seen companies which have spent months and months and months debating this
0: question. Like, why are we in business? And, and so, th- I mean, thank you for extrapolating on that. So, okay, I had interrupted you as you, were, as you were moving on from people who had identified this purpose to then how they can maintain a focus on it or, or keep it at its core as the company evolves. Is that right?
1: Yes. So how do you, now you get to the idea, suppose, and I think this is what people start to lament. They lament the loss of this strong connection with the company. And, I, and really what I think happens is businesses, enterprises, organizations, whatever you want to call them, you know, we have employees and modern day economists like to define an organization as a nexus of contracts. Everyone is in a contractual relationship with the company. But if you look at some organization, it's not about a contract. You you feel deeply identified and connected to the organization. It's extension of you. We co-identify with the organization it creates much more meaning. I feel connected. I feel meaning in what I'm doing. I feel, and I think the lament or the nostalgia is about, it's become a job. It's become just another job for everybody. We don't feel connected to each other. We don't feel connected to the purpose and mission of the organization. And you know what? That's what we've lost. Now, this happens when organizations grow. It also happens when founders sometimes leave. And I'm not saying founders shouldn't leave, But it's the job of a founder to be able to transfer that connection people feel to them to the organization. I think it's a very delicate balance that a lot of founders are larger than life figures and they love the attention. They love people looking to them for guidance and advice and becoming kind of the almost the spiritual leader of the venture. And it feels good. But at the end of the day, you know, you're making everybody dependent on you for that purpose and direction. And at some point, it needs to be decoupled from the individual. I call this in my book, I call it the personification paradox. And in Mm -hmm. looking at, for instance, these founders like David Belez and others in my podcast, what I found them saying, was they were very deliberate that people need to identify with the entity, not them only. And how do you build that connection allows you to then persist with this kind of purposeful orientation in the venture? There's a reason why Howard Schultz comes back and says, oh, my God, the company has lost its soul. And it's interesting. He said that every time he said the same thing.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, with that, it makes me wonder how much the concept of the soul is subjective to the person who feels it. Right? I imagine that uh, somebody who's mid-level at Starbucks may not have felt quite a difference in soul of Starbucks between when Howard Schultz was there or not, or maybe they did. Yeah,
1: there was a, an old kind of a Santa Clara case in the 1800s in Supreme Court, in which basically the idea was, can an organization, a uh, business, be sued as an individual? And in this kind of personification of organization as an individual came up the question, well, if an organization is an individual, can it have a soul? And, and if it has a soul, what does that mean? And what does it really mean? Right?
0: This is very uh, Mitt Romney companies or people.
1: So the question then becomes, you know, I think every leader, every business, every entity has to be asking the why question. And I'll tell you what I like about the why question is the why question forces you to imagine your entity's existence in the short and long term. It forces you to confront what are the strategic choices you're going to make. So one of the sections I explore in my book, actually, is that every business has to make trade-offs, short term versus long term. Customers versus employees versus community versus planet, right? We're making trade-offs all day long. I looked at Gotham Green, which is an agrotech venture. Yeah, we love their pasta. Or we love their uh, pesto. Pesto, yes. They have urban rooftops. They use. Yeah. And and the question they had to ask was, what do we do about packaging? Because they wanted to avoid plastic. How do you make those choices and trade-offs? How do you think about them even? How do you think about your employees saying, speak up about social issues like Spotify had to deal with? And I think is having, oh, I looked at Etsy, by the way, also. How do you think about these issues? And I think having some clarity and purpose also creates alignment, you know, another buzzword we use among everybody. Everyone comes to a shared understanding of what are we going to do and what are we not going to do?
0: Right. And here also, we're now leaving, you know, I mean, we we've done that in many other ways in what you've described already, but Just to put a fine point on it, right? I mean, I made this point earlier about how this question to me had had always seemed like a leadership question. And you said it's much larger than that. And and here it is in a way by talking about alignment, because if you have a clear purpose for a company, then that's something that everybody at the company can feel connected to. Right. Not everyone is going to feel maybe as connected to the final product of something or just the day-to-day operations or the leader. But People can feel connected to a mission, to a purpose. It's the reason why you'll hear of companies that people stick around a long time, even though maybe they're not being paid. Uh, you know, people are saying this about Twitter right now, right? That a lot of people stayed at Twitter, even though Twitter didn't pay as well as maybe some of its tech giant rivals, but people stayed because they were connected to a mission. They, they saw Twitter as being mission-oriented. Obviously, that's uh, going through a radical shift now.
1: Yeah. You remember the old uh, NASA story, about, I think it was Lyndon Johnson or somebody, one of the presidents who went to NASA in the sixties and said, uh, met a janitor and said, Hey, what do you do over here? And he said, Mr. President, I'm here to put a man on the moon.
0: <laughs>
1: right. It's a kind of a cliched, almost now well-repeated, but the idea is, I mean, at GE aviation, they have a mission purpose, which they say is we reinvent flight and bring people home safely. Mm that more than half of all aircraft flying at any moment in time in a 24 hour day are flying with a GE engine. And, and our job is to bring people home safely. Mm -hmm. I think people cared about it. Now here's the cynical view on this. The cynical view is this is just a brainwash to get people to work harder for less pay. So now you're going to have the Twitter folks, you know, being exploited. That's one view. Yeah. Right. But remember when people work, have purpose in their lives and in their work, they are healthier and happier too. So let's not forget that there are psychobiological benefits of having a purpose orientation in our life. And work is one part of our life. Okay, so let me be very clear. Work is one part of our life. So I want to be very clear about that. There's another piece of this I think is important as people say, oh, purpose is woke. Purpose is just an excuse to tax companies to do social projects. And I think people are confusing that. Purpose is about having clarity of intention and uh, in the short and long term, That's what it is. And when you imagine yourself in the long term as a business, you can't ignore stakeholders. I mean, who can in today's at your own peril? So it's really from this intention to have an understanding of yourself in the short and long term that then leads to a second order question about who are you here to serve? But people confound and muddy the two and say, oh, purpose is, you know, Patagonia, Ben and Jerry's and blah, blah, blah. And that means a tax on business. And it's none it, you know, so we call it woke ink.
0: Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I think this is just confusing and mudding the water, in my opinion. So how would you recommend that leaders identify and articulate this purpose and then help the people that they work with feel connected to it?
1: So, you know, my book is called and the podcast I have is called Deep Purpose, mm-hmm. not Purpose. And I, had, I was very deliberate about that because I think a lot of companies and individuals use what I call superficial or shallow or convenient purpose, right? Some even have pretend purpose, yeah. thinking it's a PR exercise, it's a slogan, and that's it. I think purpose is a wonderful strategic tool. It helps you sharpen your strategy. It helps you think about the implementation of your strategy. It helps you communicate your vision very clearly. It helps align people. It helps motivate and inspire people. Now you want all those benefits and it also engages your customers too, by the way, who experience you as more trustworthy. But if you want to do all that and you want to get all the benefits of purpose, as we say, putting your purpose to work, you got to go deep with it, which means it has to mean something. It's really about meaning something. It's an emotional connect. So not only do you need to write it down and put it down in words, how do you communicate that? Is it an email? Is it a video? Or is it something more personal? So I talk about storytelling. Every one of the people I talked about in my podcast or in my book also told me that it was about telling a story about yourself and about why this is important. Why is it important for the venture? And then from there, how do you make it part of your DNA? How do you make it something you measure yourself on? At Etsy, they have three impact measures. Uh, EY, large company, they said we're going to go from financial only metrics to having four metrics: employee. Customer, right? Or client, as they call them, social and financial. So, how are we going to measure ourselves? So how do we define our success? Are we really living our purpose? So, taking it seriously and making it part of the daily car, how do we use it to decide our strategy, resource allocation and budgeting, hiring and promoting? So, these are all part of the conversation that should be shaped by a place of saying, why do we exist? Or, as one of my colleagues likes to say, Cynthia Montgomery likes to say, wh- who would miss you if you ceased to exist? And why would they miss you?
0: If we were to wrap back more specifically to the question at the very start, uh, maybe as a way to conclude, is to say, well, the question here was, how do you maintain the soul of a startup? And the answer that I'm hearing is, well, first of all, identify the soul, define it. And you're defining this important concept of purpose. And then what you're describing is really infusing it in every single decision that you make so that it's not something that needs to be held on to. Rather, it's something that scales with you, that, that becomes part of the fabric of every new ounce that is grown in the organization. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, exactly. So how do I not only articulate
1: what that essence of you is, it's from there, it's about like, how do I then
0: really reaffirm it and make it a lot, bring it alive? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think that what's, what's powerful about the way that you're framing it is that when people think about how to maintain something, they often think about it in terms of the past, which is to say, well, I, I never forget where I came from. I, I will always Hold on to this thing from before, and you know, lionize it or put it in a particular place. You you, you almost imagine it as you got a small orb, and you're going to build a larger and larger house around it. But the orb doesn't change size; it just maybe has to stay in the living room. But weird metaphor. But hopefully, you're with me. But what you're describing is is really something different. It's not about the past. It's about the future. It's about the present in the future, which is to say that look, it's not just about having identified you know that you're Jenny from the block and then making sure that you remember that no matter what happens, but rather that you're identifying something that scales with you, that isn't anchored to a specific product or service or way to operate or structure of the business, but rather is something that can be a part of any new evolution of the business. Because although the things that you do may have to change and the way in which you do them may have to change, these are the changes of the maybe the what and the hows that you're talking about, that the thing that doesn't change, the thing that can scale with you is a purpose that is so, well, it's the part that doesn't change in times of change. It's the thing that's kind of specific, but also abstract enough that it doesn't fall when other things shift. Is that correct? Well,
1: it's interesting you bring that up. I'll tell you, I just wrote an article that came out in HBR uh, just this month, and it's called To See the Way Forward, Look Back. And the argument is that a lot of times people say, disavow your past. The past is baggage, legacy of the past. You know, companies get bogged down because they hold on to things that are baggage from the past for too long, right? And so you want to be a dynamic company, look forward, right? And what I discovered in my research was that the really successful companies are willing to engage with their past. They recognize their past but they at the same time connected into the future. So it's what I call connecting from nostalgia to postalgia. So, you know, how do we say, let's, if you look at even the Microsoft work, the transformation is a big company, I understand. But if you look at Satya Nadella's book, right, you know, what is it called, right? Mm -hmm. It's called Hit Refresh, the quest to rediscover Microsoft's soul and imagine a better future for everyone. Yeah. How do you look backward in order to look forward and then connect the dots? So it's not about disavowing the past. Now, if you have a very bad past, if you're Uber, which had a horrible past to begin with, then there isn't much to look back at. Right. Right. But by and large, companies like to say it's kind of the sacred about like our foundational principles. At Lego, the CEO said, let me go back to the founder. And what was his vision for the company when he started it? And it turned out his his vision was intelligent play. And then the question was, what did he mean by intelligent play? And then the question was, how do we modernize that? That was 100 years ago or 70, 80 years ago. How do we take that essence of that idea and modernize it and refresh it? And so how do you turn and connect the past into kind of our future? And so you don't want to forget your past foundational story. But how do you then also look back while looking forward? So I think it's a great question.
0: Hmm. Thanks. Rondi, this is a, a deep and a deep, and rich subject uh, that we could talk about forever, but I'm going to say that if people want to engage more, they have many ways to do it with your books and your great podcast, Deep Purpose. This has been really insightful and, and I hope has prompted a lot of people to think not just about their pasts and their futures, but their purpose as well. So thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Jason. It was really a pleasure to be here with all of you. And I hope all of us will think about our own purpose and the organizations in which we work and connect our own purpose in some ways to the organization we work in. So thank you very much.
0: That's all for this week. But hey, let's keep the conversation going. I write a newsletter called One Thing Better, where every week I give you one way to improve your work and build a career or company you love. You can subscribe for free at jasonpfeiffer.com newsletter, jasonpfeiffer.com newsletter. And if you do, you should definitely reply and say hello. I promise I'll get back to you. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you do not miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.